In Acts chapter 1, we're going to pick up the story today. For many, many weeks, our church has been uh, dealing with the fact that Jesus is alive, dealing with it in the sense that we're singing about the resurrection, we're preaching on the resurrection. We had a week of a resurrection awakening when God came and just filled this place, and many came to know the Lord personally as their Savior. And it is so important that the church be reminded this is the premier doctrine of the Christian faith. It is the extension of the cross. Jesus died for sinners, was buried, but three days later he rose from the grave. And it's not something you just do on Easter. It's something for every day of our life. And remember, everywhere we go, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen. <clears throat> I get the email from Rick Warren, a pastor friend out in California at Saddleback Church. Uh, his email is, only goes out to 1.2 million people every day. So a lot of people know who Rick Warren is and his impact and his the purpose-driven life. The, the book was one of the largest selling books, uh, Christian books ever. And uh, Rick is just a down-to-earth, great guy, loves the Word, loves the church. On his blog this week, with all the things that are happening in the world, with the earthquakes and with the Mount Everest catastrophe and with the rioting in the street and, and uh, all this, all this the, the bad, bad, bad stuff. Oftentimes, uh, as he said in his blog, that we, we get suggestions on what we need to preach, you know, that this is going to be this Sunday and need to preach on this and so forth. So here was his blog. It just simply said, knowing what's happening in our world this week, what should you preach on Sunday? And the answer was, Jesus Christ forgives sinners and is risen from the grave. That pretty much sums it all up, folks. Don't know what your problem is, but know what the answer is. The risen, resurrected, living God is the answer for the needs. Whether it's in Baltimore, Maryland, on Mount Everest, in Nepal, or anywhere else, the need is to know there is a God who is alive who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-forgiving, but he has a plan. And that plan is written in his word and his uh, avenue through which that plan is to be worked out is first of all, the individual realizes they're a sinner and acknowledge that they're a sinner confess it to God that they're a sinner and invite Jesus to come into their heart and become a born-again believer. And then the plan of God has always been that that person would identify themselves with a church. The way they do that is through baptism. We're buried with Christ in baptism unto death. We're raised to walk in newness of life. We picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We picture what happened to the person's life. They invite Jesus into their life. They're born again. They start a new life. And in that transition, and this is where we are this morning, there is a methodology that the Lord wants to use. After he came up out of the grave, he appeared to his disciples and those that were close to him, We've tried to walk through that in recent weeks. And then the time came after 40 days, and he had appeared to over 500 people, some believers, some not believers, 
but just to let them know that the Old Testament prophecy had been fulfilled, that he had come, he had committed himself to the will of the Father for his life, and that is that he went to a cross and was nailed to that cross in order that all sin could be paid for. And then, as we learned over in the Gospels, he established in the presence of Simon Peter, he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to empower my church. I'm going to commission my church. I'm going to tell my church what I want it to do. And if it'll do what I want it to do, the Father's will will be accomplished. And those that do it will be blessed as they see the plan of God unfold until the day that he said, I'm coming back again. Before he left the earth, he said, I am going, he said, it's better for me to go away because now the plan gets bigger than just the, the physical Jesus walking from Capernaum to Jerusalem to Nazareth that everybody's going to need the personal living God in their life. So he said, it's best that I go back to the Father so that I can send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to fill the lives of those who are my children that will come together to make up my church and they will then do what I want done and what the Father wants done on earth. And when they have accomplished the commission, then I'm coming back again. Now, so we're going to pick the story up in the book of Acts. We're moving out of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, called the Synoptic Gospel, four men telling the, some of the same stories about the same events in the course of their life. But now we move into the book of Acts. Written by Luke, Dr. Luke, uh, the, the physician of the uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he begins to write the book of Acts, and this is uh, the book for the church. This is the book for the body of Christ, which is the church. This is the book for the bride of Christ, which is the church. This is the, the book for the family of God, which is the church. And it is to us that these words are written. So today, I want you to let me take you through uh, to the first chapter in introducing the book of Acts, and I want to try to teach you just a couple of very, very, very important things and how they apply to your life and to my life in the days to come. I want to ask you to stand. Uh, would you do that out of respect to the Scripture? The, the reading is eight verses. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, which was their Houston, this was their city, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John, and this is still the red letters, the words of Jesus, for John truly baptized with water, 
but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth, the city, the state, the country, and the world. Would you be seated, please, and listen carefully for just a few minutes. One of the things that's very important for me to point out if you're not real familiar with the scripture and the chronology of the scripture, that Jesus knew all during everything that happened until this moment that there was going to come a time when he and the church would no longer be together, that he would be going back to be with the Father. And in going back to be with the Father, the church would receive through its membership spirit-filled people who had been saved by the Holy Spirit, and they would come in with all kinds of spiritual gifts, all ages, all backgrounds. One thing they had in common, they were all sinners saved by grace, but they came together, and these people were be given charge of what he called the church, his bride, the body of Christ. It was, it was something that was very, very special that he established. And he said, I'll build my church and the church I build will stand and the gates of hell will not stand against it. But that word, my church, that he used and the word, my church, that we use is sometimes two different things. And it's real important for we to recognize the real church as opposed to the, what I think is a church. I can just tell you right up front, the real church doesn't have denominational labels, but it does have one thing, but it has more than one thing in common. And that church that represents the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and the family of God is the instrument God the Father chose and the Son and the Holy Spirit got together to make it be born and when the church came into existence, it had a purpose. That purpose is the same today as it was the first day that God established it through Jesus Christ. Now, if we have no idea what that is, we will just go in all kinds of direction. But there was one thing that would be certain, and that is that in order for the church to function as it's supposed to function, it would have to have the Word of God and it would have to have the presence of God, which is the Holy Spirit. So the rema, the Word of God, the written Word of God, the inerrancy of the Scriptures, the authority is this book according to the teachings of our Lord. Now, the written Word and the Holy Spirit, the written word, first of all, was, was uh, written by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't written by the Holy Spirit, but it was quoted by the Holy Spirit. It came from the Holy Spirit, and then the writers uh, wrote it out. 
so that we could have it today. But the world was going to become, according to Jesus, a very hostile world once he left, and that it has. But there's a word of encouragement from Luke over in the Gospel of Luke in the 12th chapter. In the New American Standard Bible, it uses these words, do not be afraid, little flock. <laughs> do not be afraid, little flock. Where did all that words come from? Well, see, we're sheep. We're the sheep of his pastures. Now, I don't know what you know about sheep, but sheep have a tendency to follow other sheep. And if you ever go where sheep live, you will know if one sheep jumps off the bluff, they all jump off the bluff. That's just what sheep are. I mean, when the Lord says that we're sheep, that is no flattering statement at all. Sheep stink. They stink when they're not breathing. And when they do breathe, it smells worse. <laughs> but they are the most copycat, if I can use that analogy, animal there's ever been to follow one another. They all just want to follow one another. Now, when you've got that kind of situation and, they, and the Lord calls us, we're the sheep of his pastures, there's got to be something that we follow. Who's going to teach us? Where do we find out what he teaches? Who's going to protect us? Who's going to guide us? And I think also, who's going to win when this thing is over with? All of those questions are very important. And so we stop. We go back to the book of John, the 14th chapter of John. There's some encouraging words. He said, I'm going to come to you. How's he going to come to us? He comes to us in the Holy Spirit. All right, now keep, keep in mind now what we're talking about. And in that 14th chapter, verse 14, he says, I'm going to pray to the Father. He's going to give you another comforter. And listen to this, that he may abide with you forever. You say, does that mean with America? Does that mean with a nation? No, it means to the individual. All individuals that have invited God into their life, been bought by the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in their life. Now, the Holy Spirit will guide all truth. If you don't know how to make a decision, there's your guide. If you're lacking power, there's your guide. If you don't know right from wrong, there is your guide. And in a hostile world, that power is promised to every believer. But the problem is that we have trouble understanding how to connect the dots. For instance, in Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission, the Lord said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he's gone. He said, well, you didn't tell the truth. You said I'm going to be with you. Well, you got to connect the dots. He said, but before I go, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit's going to abide in you, all of you, and that's where the dots are connected. I will reveal myself to you through the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and the younger you are, the better this is. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost because the Spirit of God lives in you if you've invited him to come into your life. So now, whatever comes your way, there is one, even when you're way away from friends, family, authority, whatever, there's one in your life that loves you like no other person loves you, has a plan for you that, that he has equipped you to carry out, and you're not at it alone. Never, ever, ever are you at it alone. Well, 
Jesus calls these 12 people out. He goes out into a garden and he begins to pray. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says he spent the whole night in prayer to God the Father. You see, this worried Jesus too in the flesh because he had seen how Peter acted. He had seen many of those that claimed to be his followers. He knew how they acted. And he said, you know, I look over them, I reprimand them. Now when I'm gone, who's going to take care of them? Again, here comes the Holy Spirit. And all who come to faith in Jesus Christ come through the Word and through the Spirit. The Logos, this is the, the word Logos. This is the Word. The Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among men. That Word is also with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to interpret the Word. The Holy Spirit came to write the Word. The Holy Spirit comes to empower us to obey the Word. And so when the Scripture says that we're to be baptized, there's no argument to the Spirit-filled person because they want to do what the Father has instructed them to do and has clearly said to them, I will speak to you all truth, not withholding any good thing from you, but I want you to simply obey me. So then in Luke 24, he says, now you stay in the city until you're clothed with power. He spends the whole night in prayer. The word comes, but now I want to stop and I want to introduce the number one thought of this, of this message. How does all that happen? How in the world does a person ever get born again? What is the initiation of salvation? It's prayer. It's prayer. How do you get, how, how are you saved? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If my people which are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their sins, then I will come upon them. Now, here's the thing that we are, as a staff, as a deacon body, as a pastor, as church leaders, that we're talking one to another and trying to come together as to how is it that we can get the church, the body of Christ, in Houston, Texas, called Sagemont, how can we get together and be in one accord and understand the priority and the foundation under everything that we do, that we do in the name of the Father and the Son, must be done through the power and the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is only initiated through prayer. If we don't call upon Him, if we don't seek Him, if we go away and say, you know, you have a prayer meeting, I'm not coming. You call on me to pray, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I don't pray, I don't know anything about prayer, that's where it comes our responsibility to let you understand that you don't have to use the King James English. You don't have to use thou. You don't have to waver your voice. And you don't have to use great words that you have no idea what they mean. You can just be like a little lamb and go, bah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. But folks, we got to pray. We got to pray. The thing is before your staff right now, as your leader says, we have 75 minutes to do this service 
All of our services, hour and 15 minutes. If you sing for 35 minutes, I preach for 35 minutes, that's 70 minutes. If we baptize for 10 minutes, we've already gone over time, and we haven't even said, said one single prayer or had any time to pray. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church. We had prayer meeting every Wednesday night until they died. Why? Poorest tennis crowd there was. That hasn't changed a whole lot, folks. That hasn't changed a whole lot. Because you see, when you pray, you can bring in the presence of God. When you bring in the presence of God, you can handle anybody else. You can answer for your sin to every human being, flesh and blood you ever met. But when you get alone with God, you don't seem to get anywhere. Because God not only knows what you did, he knows what you were thinking about doing. He, he not only knows what you said, he knew what you thought about saying. That's the way he, he knows it. He knows about us. But now don't get mad at God. God loves us anyway. Can you imagine? He loves us anyway. He said, I don't want to talk to him. He wants to talk to you. That's Jesus. But listen, the Holy Spirit, this Bible was written by men who were full of prayer. The logos. The Holy Spirit came because of prayer. The only way for the word to come into the church, the, the Holy Spirit that wrote this book must interpret this book. And in order for that to happen, we must invite the Holy Spirit in. And we must make sure that every song we sing, every word that's spoken, every class that's taught, every activity that we have, that we do, whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all to the glory of God. And the reason we know it glorifies God is because the Holy Spirit led us to do it. And the reason we know the Holy Spirit led us to do it is because we invited the Holy Spirit in and we decreased and it increased. And we just said, Lord, what do you want us to do? And that's what we did. But when a church loses its spirit, and it loses this book, it has lost its power. There's power in this. And the Holy Spirit is power. And when we pray, we get the word, we understand the word, we get the power to, and the wisdom to understand it, and then the power to live it out. Now it gets exciting because that book says no weapon that's formed against you is going to prosper. For this is inheritance of the children of God. When we see these standoffs between the people and law enforcement, this Bible says things about law enforcement. It says things about the people. But the answer does not come with flesh against flesh because it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but the powers of darkness. When darkness leaves America and revival comes to America, a new life will come to this country. Our families will change. Our marriages will change. Our kids will be excited about living life and they will enjoy their young years and they'll have a spring in their step and a joy in their heart and a peace in their uh, mind and they will go with God and the church will be an exciting place to be. You know, it's interesting today... Praise the Lord. God bless his word. But listen, the churches today, you know the way they, they measure success? How many people are sitting in the chair? Could I suggest to you from the scripture, it says don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We've said, well, I just want to be a hearer. 
There's not one thing I can think of I can do. I am totally useless, worthless. I don't know the God that made me, but he made a bunch of junk when he made me. I have no talents, no spiritual gifts, no opportunity, and I think I'm drawing my last breath. I'm fixing to go. Just hold my hand here, and I'm out of here. I'm the most boring person you've ever been. That's the attitude it seems like we have. But we are so confused, and we're so mixed up. Hey, folks, last night, last night, $300 million was spent to watch two guys try to knock each other unconscious. $300 million. Do you know that is twice the amount of money that was spent last year to carry that message to the entire world? That's double. $150 million was the mission budget last year to get the gospel of life. But we are just messed up. We don't understand that we're trapped and don't understand why. But you know what? The Bible says you shall know the truth and it'll set you free and the Holy Spirit will guide you to all truth so you know how to get free. And then when you get free by humbling yourself, praying, seeking God's face, turning from your wicked ways, you're going to go with God and every day with Jesus is going to be sweeter than the day before. And the longer you serve him, the sweeter he's going to grow. And then we can sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And you know what? We'll know that all of us are going to get to heaven if we've come by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust the Word of God written by the Holy Spirit to be truth. He says, Whosoever cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's dozens of more. The Holy Spirit said that. And you know what? When we stand before the Father and said, Why should I let me into, into um, uh, my heaven? Why should I let you in? The Holy Spirit said, Because he's mine. She's mine. They belong to me. I bought them on Calvary's cross. So you see, all that we talk about has to, has to do with the Word and the Holy Spirit. And the only way for either one of them to become a reality is for us to pray, show me your Word. Don't just open the Bible and, and just put, it, put your finger down and say, oh, that's the one I'm going to read. Don't do that. Learn to study the Word of God. Learn how exciting it is when you see how relevant the Bible is. But when the church loses its spirit, the Holy Spirit, when it loses the Word, it loses its power. All of these chairs out here that are empty, you know what I wish they represented? I wish they represented that somebody has left the chair and they've gone to the world to tell the world what they learned while they were sitting in the chair but not just sit in a chair. But no, they're somewhere. This is another thing my friend Rick Warren, we've talked about that. He believes the same thing. He said, I'm not trying to fill the seats in any building. He said, I'm trying to get people there one time and then get them out of here to carry the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. See, that's what Jesus did. He didn't stay around very long. He just kept on moving, kept on moving. When people didn't hear him, he'd shake the dust off his feet and go to the next place, go to the next place, go to the next place. And then the people began to go. And those 120 people we talked about last week that are mentioned here again in the book of Acts, those 120 people, by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, 3,000 people got saved one day. Not in a church building, but out on a hill. Why? Because someone came to the temple, but they went out to the uttermost part of the world. And our goal at Sagemont is to get as many young people, as many adults, Senior adults, middle-aged adults, single, married, it doesn't make any difference. Go 
to the uttermost part of the world for a week, for a month, for three months. Oh, yes, for the rest of your life, if God were to call. But the main thing is get out, get out, get out, get out under the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. We've got to be born again by his spirit. But you know what? We prefer to pray for results rather than for the Holy Spirit. We just, we skip Holy Spirit show up. We just say, here's what we want to do. If you were to show up, this is what I want you to do. That's not the way it works. You get the Holy Spirit to come in and then he decides what he wants to do. And what he's going to do is what's best for everybody concerned and it's what's to bring most glory to the Father. Learn to pray, Father, come into my heart. That's the way you get saved. Now, once you get saved, Father, guide me into all truth. Well, I want you to be baptized, okay? Keep on. Father, now what? Well, I'm going to give you certain spiritual gifts. I want you to use these on the, on the school campus, on the stage, in the bank, on the athletic field, wherever you go, cheerleader, wherever. Use it. Use what I, where I put you in your school, in your community, at this stage in your life. Let my power come through you. Let my love come through you. You go out there and you tell those people that are at the point of almost taking their life, God loves you just like you are. Your life is important to God. Put your life in the hands of God. He's come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. You put that gun down. You walk away from that situation. You go with God. Some of the greatest influential Christians of this generation had some of the most horrible backgrounds that you could ever imagine. And how sad it is as we keep turning the papers and we read about those that are real high in the world's eyes and their lives are falling apart with millions and millions and millions of dollars and all kinds of fame and everything that a little innocent Young person, well, I just want to be like that. I would like to have that kind of notoriety. I'd like to have that kind of money. I'd like to have those kind of people following me. I'd like to have all this kind of stuff. But you know what? When you follow, when you find Jesus and you follow Jesus, and follow Jesus, you found everything you need and anything you'll ever want. He'll never fail you. He'll never let you down. And he'll take you just like you are. Wow. Don't even have to fill out an application. How about that? All you just have to do is say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. And then God said, I am, I am committed to doing it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I got to close, but I got to just make sure that you understand where there's much prayer, there's going to be much of the power of the Holy Spirit. And where there's much spirit, there's going to be prayer. If God is here, we want to talk to him. If God is here, he can save anybody right where you are. He's not waiting for your predestined day. He's waiting for your stubborn will to be broken. And you just simply say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But I encourage you, don't wait till you're the thief hanging on the cross. When your life is used up and there's nowhere for you to go, don't wait till then to pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. Into thy hands I commend my spirit, the Lord said, and that spirit is here right now. Right this moment, you can trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right this moment, you can invite him to come into your life.
and from the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find power and you're going to find grace. You're going to find grace. If prayer was the power by which the early church flourished and it triumphed, and it was, then why doesn't the church need that today? Why don't we have that courage? Oh, I would tell you very quickly. I get, I get emails all the time warning me. If the church doesn't change, the government's going to shut us down. That'll be a day. We'll see who God is. Not that the church is that strong, but the God that we follow is that strong. And the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the kings will, will kneel in his presence. And all I would say is, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because he knows what he wants for his people. He wants every person here and everybody watching on television or on the Internet. He wants you to know that he loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you. And today, he wants to change your life, and he'll take you just like you are and put it under the blood, your past, and remember it no more. Forgives it and remembers it no more. I don't know about you, but you may need something like that today. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. A-L-L, all. And when the risen Lord shows up, there's going to be peace, there's going to be power, and there's going to be provisions.